0: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite electrician, Doug, here. Welcome back to the Modern Electrician Podcast. It's Monday morning. Time to jump in your vehicle, grab your coffee, grab your lunch, lace up your boots. Time for the Monday morning check-in. Hope you guys had a great, relaxing weekend. Got to reboot to some degree. Spend some time with your family, because remember, that's who we're doing this for more than anybody is our family. So let's make sure we're taking that time if we can. Um, This week wanted to start a topic of conversation that I always love talking about. And that is shitty jobs. Look, we've all had them, right? I mean, you gotta start somewhere. And when you're young, you know, your folks are gonna start to say, hey, maybe you should get a job. Maybe you should get a summer job this year. As you uh, end high school, you get into your college age uh, or you know early trade age, whatever you're doing before you get into the trades, maybe even when you got into the trades. You know, those of us uh, who've been doing this a long time, I'm sure you've worked for some suspect contractors in the past. So what I want to talk about today is what's the worst job you've ever had? Because going into the Thanksgiving uh, holiday season here, I always like to think about the concept of gratitude. And... Um, sometimes when thinking about gratitude, it helps to think about the things that uh, you're grateful to not be doing anymore. You know, so many times in our lives, we've had scenarios where we felt stuck or we felt like, man, what am I doing here? How, how did I get here and how do I get out of it? And that's why I want to talk about bad jobs, because we've all had those scenarios where we're like, man, I got to get out of here. And I feel like that helps me feel grateful, remembering those jobs, helps me feel grateful for where I am now. Right, because a lot of times, you can uh, be in your chosen profession, and I wanna make that very clear here. Um, You know, I think a lot of us fall into our line of work, but ultimately, no matter how you slice it, we have chosen this, all right? You've got a choice. We live in America, you know, we're not, we're not living in, well, those of you listening who live in America. Not sure what it's like in other places, but I know in the United States whether or not you feel like you, you know, you have fallen into something or kind of inherited a lifestyle or place of business, if you want to change it, you can. You know, I don't care what anybody tells you, you you can. You can put in the work, invest in yourself and make changes. And so, whether you like it or not, whether you like your job or not, you have chosen it. And so, I always feel like taking stock in what you're grateful for uh, helps helps me on a daily basis, right? It helps me feel like, okay, at least I'm not still working at that crappy job. At least I'm not still in some dead-end scenario uh, that makes me feel bad and uh, makes me wish that I wasn't getting up and going to work today. So I'm gonna start today with a story of uh, some of the shittier jobs I've had. So when I was a younger man, post-military, trying to find my way and working as a a budding stand-up comic, I had to go, you know, make money as well, uh, because that's not an incredibly lucrative career, if you could believe it or not, especially when you're starting out. Uh, So I had a handful of jobs that were just jobs that I would take to try to make money, and one of them, I find this ad, it must have been Craigslist or something, and it said it was looking for motivated self-directed individuals uh, who were organized to be a part of a company that sells high-quality merchandise to Fortune 500 companies. And I thought, well, that sounds prestigious, right? I mean, what what even is a Fortune 500 company? I know the word fortune's in there, so that's what I want, right? Some fortune, and there's probably about 500 of them. That's all I can guess, right? Because I'm dumb, what do I know? But it sounds cool. And so I put on my nicest clothes, sign up for an interview, go in for an interview. And at this place, it's all guys about my age. And so I think, all right, I could probably get down with this. They seem uh, like, you know, kind of like my kind of guys. They're all talking trash to each other, having a great time in the morning. There's a couple other interviewees there. I feel like I look pretty sharp ready for the interview. Uh, Go in, really like the guy who interviewed me. He said, once again, they sell high quality merchandise to Fortune 500 companies, so it's a sales position. All right, can stand and make some money. Doesn't sound too bad. So here's what we're gonna do day one. They're gonna put me in in a vehicle with one of their sellers, one of their head sales guys, and I'm gonna shadow him as he goes around and he makes sales. Sounds pretty straightforward, right? So I get in a car with this fella and uh, he's a nice enough guy. And we go to the small town of Davenport, Iowa. I'm living in the, the Quad Cities at the time where I grew up. And uh, we start to basically walk around the downtown area with a bag. He's got a duffel bag. And it's full of shit. It literally was crap. It was like uh, hand lotions and... Uh, Loofahs, if you remember the loofah was a thing back in like the 90s, the 2000s. Uh, Some brushes, hair brush. It was just like a bunch of shit that you might get at like a Bed Bath & Beyond, but like the dollar store version. And this was my first time seeing the product. Now they marketed this as selling high-end quality products to Fortune 500 companies. But what we're doing is we're walking around the streets of Davenport, Iowa with a duffel bag full of shit walking into businesses and asking them if they want to look through and and what this guy said, this was the guy's sales pitch. This is how he would sell. He would walk up to people and he would say, "Uh, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, ma'am. I've got some unbelievable products in this bag. Some unbelievable products. He would say that every time. I've got some unbelievable products as if the, the longer he drew out the un part, people would be like, oh, wow, these must be hard to believe. And then he would, you know, tell them it was picture frames and loofahs and brushes and shit. And they would be like, no, thanks. Um, at one point, I'm not making this up. He stops a homeless man in the middle of an intersection and he goes, excuse me, sir. Uh, I don't know if you want to check out what I've got today, but I've got some unbelievable products and I waited till he was done. But I was like, yo, that was a homeless guy, man. He's not going to buy anything. And And the guy goes, Hey, everybody's a potential client. Everybody, and I get that. I'm sure he heard that in a in a sales class or something, and I get that mentality. But you're kind of approaching it in like a robotic way at that point. Like you've got to have some nuance, because let me tell you something. That guy's not a client unless you've got some unbelievable crack in that bag. He's not buying a loofah, and he doesn't have any money to buy it anyway. He might give you an unbelievable hand job for that unbelievable crack you got, but that's it. Like this guy's not. I started to be like, what the fuck is going on here? And the whole time we're working, he's telling me what this whole process is. And the process is this. You've got to get somebody under you. You see where this is going. And they sell the products. And then they get people under them. And they sell the products. And so you get a percentage of each product that's sold for the people. And I go, whoa, this sounds like a pyramid scheme, man. No, 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 no. Not a pyramid scheme, this is not a pyramid scheme. And he he wanted to continue to reiterate that because I was sure to continue to let him know that even though he tells me it's not, sure does sound like a pyramid scheme. And so at one point in the day, we're standing outside of a gas station. I'm not kidding. Panhandling people getting out of their cars to the point where the police show up and remind us, hey, it's illegal to do what you're doing. And so around lunchtime, I had already made the decision this, I'm not gonna do this. This is a pyramid scheme, it was worth a shot, I'm out. I ask the guy I'm with to take me back to the main office so I can get my car and go and he's disappointed. Man, you don't wanna do this? I'm like, honestly man, I'm, I'm not interested. I appreciate it, I'm gonna find something else. So he takes me back to the office and the main guy is there, the guy who sits at the top of the pyramid. And uh, I walk in, you know, it's early in the day, day's not over yet, so he wants to know, hey man, you're back, you're back early, what, what happened? And I told him, you know, I don't I don't think this is really for me. And he said, Well, can you do you mind if I ask why? And I said, Well, I kind of feel like it's a pyramid scheme. No, 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 not a pyramid scheme. Not a py- Let me let me let me show you how this works. Now, I've told this story to people before, and this is the part of the story that always seems like I'm making it up, and it's not. I'm not making this up. To to prove to me that this is not a pyramid scheme, he walks over to the dry erase board and draws. I'll give you a chance to take a guess of what he draws. That's right. You guys guessed it. He draws a fucking triangle. On the, on the, <laughs> a pyramid. And he draws it and he goes, here's how it works. And I go, you just drew a pyramid. No, 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 no. It's not a pyramid scheme. Anyway, long story short, I did not take that job. That was not the job for me. No thanks, I'll pass on that one. Um, around the same time, I also got a job, uh, took a job opportunity with Comcast as a repo man. And the idea was there are all these people out there who have stopped paying for their cable. They've got a cable box in their house. We need it back. We'll give you 10, I think it was like, I think it was like 10 bucks per cable box you got back or something like, it was an absurd concept. But I figured I'd give it a shot. Because on the surface, it seemed like it would work, I guess if I get 20 of these a day, I get 200 bucks. I guess that's how it works. The problem was they gave me a list this thick of people who had stopped paying their bills, and what, you know, the funny part about people who don't pay their cable bill, they also don't answer their phone, they also don't answer their door, <laughs> and they don't let little skinny 19-year-old white guys in their house to collect the cable box. So uh, that job lasted about a week. too. every single day, the guy who I would check in with at that job was furious with me because I didn't have any cable boxes to get to, what do you mean you don't have any cable boxes? I gave you a whole list, it's like, yo man, Nobody is answering their phone. Nobody's answering their door. Like, what am I supposed, what are you gonna break in their house and take the cable box back? I quit. So long stories short, I find myself years later, here I am in the trades. And any time I'm in a situation where I feel like, man, I wish today'd be over a lot sooner, I keep in mind that I have made this choice to do this thing because I've done a lot of other things that were not so unbelievable and believe it or not, this is one of the better things I've done. Um, I've worked in jobs where I've made more money than I make now. Um, I've worked in jobs where I didn't have to work as hard as I work now, and I'll tell you what. I prefer hard work. I like it. I like, at the end of the day, looking back at what I did and being like, I accomplished something. I'm leaving something behind. I'm leaving my mark on this world. This podcast, I don't have to do this podcast. I need to, for my soul. I need to talk to you guys. It's part of my makeup. Um, I don't do stand-up anymore. I need this platform to communicate. So this takes extra time. I don't make any money for it, but I love it. I love doing this. And that's what it's really all about. It's comparing and contrasting. It's your perspective. It's looking at the things that you've done in the past and the things that didn't work. And then comparing them to the things that you found that do. And you know, working in the trades is not perfect by any means. This is not a perfect uh, world. It's hard. tiresome, clients are tricky, Uh, training apprentices has its challenges, Uh, working with other people has its challenges, working with contractors has its challenges. Um, But man, I prefer it. I am grateful to be in this position. I'm grateful to be sitting here in a truck and waiting to get my day started and talking to you guys. I'm grateful for the life I've created for myself and I have the trades to thank for it. So I want to put it out to you guys as we start our week. What was the, let's, let's, let's dream for a minute. What was the worst job you ever had? I need to know. I want to know your story. So here's what I want you to do. I'm also going to post this on Instagram. I'm going to do a quick little blurb about worst jobs you've ever had. And I want to put it out to you guys because I want to hear your stories too. I want to talk about these, but here's something you can do. If you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, you can go up to the um, information about this specific episode at the top of the page and you can click see more or read more. And it will scroll down and you actually have an opportunity to leave me a voice message on the podcast, on that, on that platform. Please, nobody's done it yet, but I'm dying to have you guys leave me a voice message. Leave me a quick message, one minute, two minutes, whatever it takes for the voice message, whatever they provide you. What's the worst job you've ever had? What's the, if it's the job you're in now, let's talk about it. What do you got to do to get out of that? What's the next step? But if it's not and it's some job you had in the past, I'd love to hear about it. I love hearing about pain and anguish. It's not, there's nothing better, right? (laughs) Because it puts right now in perspective and that's what it's really all about. So this week, as we get the week started, I want you to think about what are the worst jobs you've had? And how do they compare to where you are today? And I want you to spend some time, you know, throwing some gratitude into your life right now, okay? You know, we gotta be grateful. About the life that we have every single day. Because you're going to wake up one morning and be dead. Because that's how it goes. We live a life and then we're gone. So make the most of every single day that you've got. If your job right now is lame and it's the worst job you've ever had. What are you doing to change that? Because that's on you too. That's your choice believe it or not. And if the job you're working in now is the best job you've ever had. Well then kudos. I want to hear about the worst one. And why are you grateful now. Based on how crappy that job was back then. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your stories about the worst job you've ever had, uh, because that sort of thing just makes me giggle. Uh, And in the meantime, while you guys are thinking about that, responding to the Instagram page, all the things you're gonna do in response to what's the worst job you ever had, um, we are gonna introduce a new episode of Coffee and Code this week. so, Coffee and Code, once again, is a segment where I sit down with my business partner over at Lumen Brothers Electric Company, Josh Wright. We go through the code book and we talk about basically just the things that we're working on that week and whatever comes up that we kind of need to cross reference in the code book. Just kind of fosters a conversation and uh, leads into, you know, one thing leads to the next. Now, this coming up episode, the one that I'm about to uh, share with you guys right now, stemmed from. An experience that Josh and I had in a house that was built probably late 1800s early 1900s and the house was originally wired or at least the original part of the house was wired a knob and tube um, and then they came back through and it looks like they probably did uh, some wiring uh, remediation maybe late 70s 80s and so we get into the conversation of switches and knowing how to diagnose switch issues three-way switches whatever the case may be in an old house and keeping in mind that throughout the generations different techniques were administered so the way that somebody wired a switch in the 70s uh, was is very different than the way that we wire switches today and you also got to keep in, in mind and this is something we mentioned in this episode that somebody who was wiring switches in the 70s was probably not born in the 70s they've probably been wiring switches for the past, However many years 20 years 30 years, so they learned how to wire switches in the 40s and the 50s way different than now So in this specific uh, episode we touch on switching neutrals and how to troubleshoot that sort of thing uh, We get in a little bit into the weeds on uh, the code around switches um, You know whether a neutral is present in three-way situations, whatever that may mean um, For you and where you are, but we always love to uh, hear what you guys have to say about these things um, tell us about some instances that you've had to troubleshoot in old homes and how you went about doing it. What are some of the tricks that you utilize based on the things that you understand um, from the way that wiring was done a long time ago? I'll give you an example. Um, The way that houses were wired a long time ago was, as you all know, power was brought into the light locations versus bringing power into the switches and outlets first and then sending switch legs up. They always drop switch loops down, right? When, when wiring was originally brought into houses, it was mostly just lights, you know? There weren't really any appliances, uh, or not many. So it was really lighting circuits and then switch loops were dropped down, which is different than we do it now. So knowing that can help you troubleshoot um, problems. I'll give you an example. I had a client reach out uh, recently and they had a back-to-back outlet in a room in a house that they just bought <clears throat> and the outlets weren't working. Okay, I did notice that coming through and, and checking things out that the client themselves had hung the lights. So they're brand new lights in this 50s era house. And uh, so, Got to pay attention to everything when you're troubleshooting, right? What what are we looking at? What are we trying to solve? What era was the house wired in? And what has happened since? So I know that the house was built in the 50s. Looks like original rag wire is happening. So nobody's really changed the switching scenarios um, or the wiring scenario since the 50s. So we got to think, how did people wire houses in the 50s, right? Power was typically brought into the lights and then switch loop down and then drop to the outlets down, right? And then so I come into these outlets to check them out. And I'm not getting 120 volts, I'm getting somewhere around like 26 volts. What does that tell me? Typically tells you you got a lost neutral somewhere. So, using what you know about the way houses are wired back in the day to troubleshoot what's going on now, here's my first thought. Well, if I'm missing a neutral, the signs of this voltage is showing me that there's a neutral lost. Number one. Number two, this house was built in the 50s, so there's the feed is most likely in the ceiling and they probably dropped down to the outlet. So, I'm missing a neutral. The feed is probably in the ceiling and it looks like the homeowner came through and put these lights in themselves because they're brand new lights. Those three things led me to feel like the first place I need to check is the light, right? I wanna look, I wanna take that light down that they installed and see what's going on and lo and behold, when when the homeowner got into the light to install it, For whatever reason, they disconnected the two neutrals and just used the switch neutral for that light and they capped off the old neutral with that old wire nut. All the signs were there. So all I had to do was reconnect those two neutrals and there we are, we've got 120 at those outlets. So knowing how, people wired things historically is super important to troubleshooting now. Unless you're living in a, an area where it's all new homes, which not many of us are, you know, you're know, you always going to have to come across something where you're like, okay, what the hell's going on here? Well, how did they wire houses in the 50s? How did they switch things in the 30s? Uh, so that's what this episode of Coffee and Code is about. Hope you guys are really enjoying this uh, segment. Please comment. Let us know your thoughts. Love to hear what you guys have to say about it. So without further ado, enjoy this episode of Coffee and Code. Sure. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> So here we are, uh, another episode of uh, Coffee and Code with uh, myself, Doug Powell, and uh, my partner in crime, Josh Wright. Hey, hey. Uh, We are going through the code book today. We just came uh, across a situation in a very, very old house this morning uh, where... Set it up, because if you... Josh, you were the one who found that scenario, and you found the ceiling box with Mm -hmm. one cable in it.
1: Yeah. Well, so... Um, A tricky part about working on old houses is that if you were just to get the old house as it was built in the 1800s, that would be one thing. But since then, multiple generations of remodelers and electricians have come through and put their hands into it. And so what we found was it's a house from Civil War era, and so it's got knob and tube originally. And then we found what we think is 1970s, 1980s-era Romex that somebody added. But there's clearly a buried junction box somewhere. Right. So we have a two-wire, a 14-2, up in a switch box up on the ceiling. We have a dead-end three-way on one side of the room Mm -hmm. with a fresh piece of 12-3 Romex. Yeah, fairly fresh, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then on the other side of the room, we have... Uh, an old switch box that probably had knob and tube at one point. Definitely knob and tube boxes. Yeah. yeah, but then had somebody in the 70s or 80s had pulled some Romex into. Right. Um, and so when I was there last time, it was on my way out. The homeowner said, hey, can you get that working? And the first thing I did was put a tester on everything and was getting some weird readings. Yeah. So the whole system being knob and tube means you don't have a ground to accurately test things. Yeah. Um, and so that can always make your readings tricky. So we we did a little
0: trick that uh, Josh likes to do where you plug an extension cord in and run it over. So you've got your ground now.
1: Yeah, so you... And I'll, I'll say I learned this the hard way. Yeah. Verify that the outlet you're plugging into... <laughs> is, is it knob and tube, tube <laughs> Not on the same yeah. circuit. Or is yeah. it actually is, is valid. Yeah, it actually has a ground. Has a solid ground, a solid yeah. neutral. In this case, it was an outlet that I had added for the homeowner. So you knew so it for I a fact. knew yeah. it was... Fresh wire, fresh breaker, perfectly grounded. Okay. So we run the extension cord so that we then have, when we're, when we're using our uh, voltmeter, we then have an accurate ground to test this stuff. That's right. So the way that we knew,
0: uh, and I'm sure a lot of you already are, have put this together, but the way that we knew that there was a buried junction box somewhere um, is because the, the conductors were not adding up. You know, they weren't from one box to the next to the next. Yeah. We didn't have the same color conductors. We didn't, one, one didn't add to the next. So there's yeah. a buried box somewhere. Yeah. So we had to figure out what was really going on. And, and you had this three-way, this really old three-way. And it had, a, it had coming out of the back of that box to that three-way, there was a two-wire. the black and a white. And they were basically in place where, of where the travelers would be on that switch. And then you had a neutral that was where the common or the point would be on that, mm-hmm. on that three way. And that was the uh, switched leg of that three way. And you could see in this two gang box, there was another switch in there that was wired uh, with a standard three wire, but it had a hot and a neutral coming up. And that neutral spliced with, the, I think, there were three other neutrals. Mm-hmm. And then there was a junction from that over to our point for our, for our switch in question. So I was a little confused. I'd never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Josh told me about the, the lazy Susan.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> um, that terminology for me, for me is hearsay, so I'm sure there might be some people out there that know a better term for it, or if there was ever an official term for it. Yeah, I don't know if there's a better term than a lazy yeah. Susan. <laughs> Poor Susan. <laughs> but um, I, you know, I spent the better part of my career working in D.C., and all Old houses, and you see a lot of interesting stuff there. Yeah, Washington D.C. to D.C. Yeah, D.C. Uh, electricity, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, and I worked with some. I worked with a guy named Taj, who his dad was an old timer who knew a lot of crazy tricks, and I think I I had seen the system early on where they. They basically they're switching a neutral, and it runs you know through a whole house. All the switches will be neutrals. They just take a constant hot to all the fixtures, and they right. just break the neutral. Right. And they obviously stopped doing that because the neutral carries more of a load. Right. It's, it's a crazy setup. Yeah. Um, and then you get people now, 100 years later, they don't recognize what they're working on. Right. They get a and lot of reverse polarity. You have no idea what you're looking at if, you, if you're not versed in it. Some people don't even know how to test it. Right. You've got no ground. Right. And, and you know, you're as ne- you're testing it, you're like, there's <laughs> also no high. That's right. You're like, what's happening
0: you, You've here? got your common on one of the three ways
1: yeah. connected to a neutral yeah. junction,
0: yeah. which I, is wild.
1: I worked with a guy named Eric who one time he goes, he pulled it out. He put one of those little beep beep testers on it and said it was dead. His little non contact voltage t- tester. He, he says it's dead. Yeah. He goes to pull that thing out of there and oh, the, the light was functioning. So he was kind of blown. He's like, wow, you know, how my mind is blown by this. The yeah. light is coming on and off. Right. This just magic. Then he goes to open it up and anyone who knows opening up a neutral yeah. while you have a hot going to it, if you connect that circuit, you're gonna feel some some heat. Yeah. And so he got hit pretty good. I'll that Um. That was really my first introduction to it, and then okay. we, we did a handful of houses where we were doing complete gut and rewires, and we encountered them. encountered so
0: yeah. the the lesson there is like, if you're working in an area where there are old homes, where which well, you know for all of us, I think no matter where you work, that's that's a, an issue. You know, um, it helps to know the the um, the trade secrets and kind of the industry standards from the generations past, because Josh made a good point. Like it's 2021 and we're finding this in an old farmhouse, but if this wiring was done in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, and that electrician was 60, 70 years old, you don't know. Yeah. You're talking somebody who has the trade skills that they acquired in the 1930s, right? Yeah. Uh, when wiring was knob-and-tube. Yeah. Um, when uh, the lazy Susan was the preferred method, potentially. right?
1: And a lot of those old-timers are stuck in their ways, so yeah. you know, maybe he's going around the house with a helper, and the, and the guy's like, we're doing what? Yeah. He goes, that's the best way to do it. That's yeah. right.
0: It's like, but if you look at, so we, so we open up our code books because always in this segment of Coffee and Code, it's all about going to the code book and trying to find the rules around these things that you find in the field all the time. So today we're talking about switches. Uh, and if you go to article 404.2, Switch Connections, uh, 404.2b, uh, talks about your grounded conductors, i.e. your neutral. And it says switches or circuit breakers shall not disconnect. Grounded conductor the grounded conductor of the circuit um, And there's an exception in there uh, and it basically states that you could do it if you were to disconnect Everything in, included in the circuit first and and so that the grounded conductor doesn't get switched off first Right. Yeah, right because of the load that it carries and the danger yeah. there um, and that got us into talking about this uh, this concept of needing a, a neutral at your switch location, um, and you know, with newer code, I've, I've heard, and this is another reason that we do coffee and code is because there's lots of hearsay in the trades. Mm-hmm. You hear a lot of things, right? Like, you'll be working with somebody and they'll say, oh, you can't do that. Uh, you know, I failed an inspection for that, and an inspector caught me, or whatever the case may be. And so you, you tend to adapt or adopt these like, these things that you think you believe that you think are right until you check them and you're like, oh man, that's, I, that's either there or it's not. So the question
1: is, do you need a neutral at a switch location? And again, we should we should preface this, this is just per 2020 NEC code. That's right. Any AHJ yep. may say otherwise. That's correct. And that might be part of the problem, but For sure. as it looks, as we're looking in the code book, that's what we're basically trying to find. That's right. And I have heard that,
0: um, and Josh do it, that neutrals are necessary per new code. Basically, you know, because of the smart switching, um, the smart switching that's starting to take place um, where neutrals are necessary in switch locations. Um, So uh, what we found in the code in regards to three-way and four-way switches, um, basically it states that for three-way and four-way switches, a neutral is necessary. It says in uh, 404.2c... the grounded circuit conductor uh, for the controlled lighting circuit shall be installed at a location where the switches is, um, basically says it's needed for bathrooms, hallways, stairways, here's what it says. Where multiple switch locations control the same lighting load, such as the entire floor area of a room or space is visible from a single or combined switch locations, the grounding circuit conductor shall only be required at one location. So what it's saying is a neutral is required in a three or four way scenario, but not in every not in every location.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, the way we wire them these days, um, that that's usually the case, anyways. Right. Um, we we're usually not, have power on at least one side. We're not dropping a ton of switch loops. No, we'll not if, if it's fresh wiring and we're doing yeah, rough in. Yeah, and we're not going to do a switch loop down to a dead end three way usually. Mm. I've yeah, we've seen them. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, it's, like, it's interesting. You read, you read on even farther. Of course, this is the 2020 code. Right. Um, at the bottom of C. So it goes through a few – it gives a few locations where um, a grounded conductor shall not be required. Right. Um, basically, it says if you've got a continuous raceway that's large enough to have a grounded conductor – they're basically saying you're allowed... To, they're cool with that because you could pull one in later if right. you needed it. Right. Um, let's see where else. Then, at the number five, this is interesting, where a switch controls a receptacle load. So I don't know if they're just thinking that receptacles aren't going to be controlled by a smart device, but it seems to me like... I don't see – I don't personally – Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I don't know my uh, theory well enough to understand why that would be – I'm not sure either why it wouldn't be required at the why, switch. What's different about that?
0: Well, yeah, I'm not sure because if you think about – I mean, with the lighting load too, you've got to have a neutral uh, at the light in order for the light to function. Same with the receptacle. Um yeah.
1: so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But then right below that, um, it says the of conductor shall be extended to any switch location as necessary. And shall be connected to switching devices that require line-to-neutral voltage to operate the electronics. So obviously, you know that's what we're talking about here. Right. Then it goes down to an exception, talking about um, when you know when, when that requirement shall be applied. Um, informational note: the provision for a future grounded conductor is to complete a circuit path for electronic lighting control devices. So that. It's always interesting when they put informational notes in there because I've always ignored those. Right, they're little and yep. But it's basically saying right there why they want that, yeah. why they need that. Yep. Electronic
0: lighting control devices. A lot of smart switches now require a neutral. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you you know, you really you really sell yourself short if you're not preparing it that way. Yeah. Just the trick is, you know, how far do you go when you come into an old house? And not only do they not have, you know, updated wiring for the most part, but the the person who's come before, maybe in this case yeah. in the 70s, has wired it in a, in, yeah. an, in a way that's completely different than anything you do now, and they're actually utilizing the neutral yeah. as a switch link.
1: Well, and so look at this. I mean, I don't know if we covered this in the last couple minutes, but 404.2 switch connections. Um, <clears throat> talking about three- and four-way switches, how they you're not allowed to... Um, break the grounded conductor. So basically the lazy Susan that we had going there, you can't do that. That's right. fine. But then the exception right below it, and this is kind of what I had thought, switch loops shall not require a grounded conductor. So so within this one article <laughs> <laughs> as per huge. Uh, yeah. So yeah. a switch loop doesn't require a grounded conductor. Why does a three and four way scenario Need I'm not sure right yeah so are they suggesting there that because um, that exception is right below talking about three and four way switches right so if it's a switch loop down to one side of a three way and then you bounce over to the other side of the three way you don't need a neutral I
0: don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> and, it, and obviously, it all it all is up to your AHJ and, and what you do in your area. Yeah. Um,
1: and again, this is how we interpret it. I yeah. would love. I'm. I'm. Guarantee there are people out there that are super well versed in this stuff. Sure. I would love to hear from them. Yeah. In terms of an explanation on on this, and heck, maybe our, our buddy Mike Holt will let us know. That would be great. So what
0: we'll do is when we post this uh, post this little coffee and code uh, uh, section up, what we can do is then go on. A, Go on the IG, say hey, check it out, and uh, just respond to maybe the IG video to say hey, what yeah. do you know about the switch loops? What do you know about neutrals and switch locations? Yeah. Do you have a better uh, term for the lazy susan? Yeah, is there another or another term? Another maybe, term? What do you know? In it California, as? they call it other stuff. About the old California three way.
1: Well, that is a thing. It is a thing. I know. it. Yeah. But I've also heard people call it different three-way setups in California. So it's oh, kind of like this general term for weird Right. Well, three-ways. that's... <laughs> so, and I mentioned to
0: Josh today, it's like I, I was at the supply house this morning, and I got to talking with our guy Justin over at, at uh, Maurice Electric, and uh, he was talking about how... You get used to terminology. Now, you know, if you, Especially when you're coming up and you're learning from somebody, you're gonna pick up the terms that they use and then that's just your preferred nomenclature because that's what you know something as. Like for example, liquid type Conduit, uh, there's a manufacturer called Carflex, so a lot of people call liquid type, uh Conduit Carflex. That's how I knew it when I was starting because the guy that I worked for just said Carflex. and so. When you go to a specific supply house and they get accustomed to you and the way you talk and vice versa, and then you go to another supply house that's not them, that you are speaking Spanish sometimes when they are speaking English, and they're like, I don't
1: know what Carflex is. It's funny that the suppliers, as long as I've been going to them, they're very good about not hurting your ego, though. Yeah, right. Because they rarely correct you. Right. Usually, If they, they know, know what you're saying. They know what you're saying. Yeah. They go ahead and they put it into the order, right. and you hear the guy beside you say something completely different. That's and at right. The end, and they, they go with it. Yeah. Um, Depending so on like, what kind of day they're having, I'm sure. Yeah, or if they like the guy. Yeah. Yeah, but so they can let they'll let you get away with using, you know, poor te- you know,
0: terminology. Right. Yeah. I mean, so much there's so much industry slang around materials. What are well, what are some things that you've heard? Uh, if you could think of anything off the top of your head, well, CJ sixes. Okay. Are you familiar with those? Yeah, they're the metal clamps that yep. hold uh, Colorado gems. Colorado gems. Colorado gems. As in Jim? Yeah, as G- in the Jimmy? Guy- Okay, Colorado yeah. gems. Colorado
1: huh? gems. Interesting. And I don't know if that's a brand thing or yeah, like could somebody be. just took the took the acronym CJ. <laughs> Colorado gems. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Colorado gems. CJ. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um. I know. So this one, and yeah. I learned this in in my electrical school, uh, and I, I don't know. <laughs> it was an old timer teaching the class, and I don't know if he swore that this is industry terminology. Yeah. But on motors, and you industrial and commercial guys will know this better. But the spot where you connect your wire is known as the peckerhead. Huh. And of course, everybody in the class giggled like you know schoolgirls. Yeah. And he kind of did this firm look and said what's everybody laughing at? Uh-huh. So as I was saying, you connect to the pecker head, and then everybody laughed again. Right. And so finally somebody was like, what are you talking about? is yeah. he says, that's, that's the term, that's the name, that's what they're called. So now, the I wonder
0: where is, you connect, what, what is the pecker head? It's like the
1: J-Box. Okay. It's a spot where you you know, you know bring your outside wire to the motor yeah. and, and connect to it. Okay, so it's the junction uh, point. Yeah. It's the junction point. Now huh. I'm sure that, I feel like <laughs> the motor manufacturer Would not say in their instructions the pecker head, but maybe they would. Maybe they would in a 1975 version (laughs) of the motor manual, right? Yeah, quick side note me and Doug are super nerdy about this stuff, and so this morning I told him that I've always wanted to get older versions of the code book just because it's kind of the history of what we do and just see how it's written, you know, how much is in there, and of course. Doug never wastes time, so within five minutes we have a 1975 version of the NEC ordered, yeah. and it's, it's on its way to us. Yeah, but, so we'll we'll pull that out for one of these uh, coffee and code episodes too, where we go and, through the 75 version. Please, anybody who has other versions, mm-hmm. other older versions. Let us know, because yeah. I'm super pumped to hear about that stuff.
0: Yeah, I'd love to hear what some of the older uh, codes were, In it'd be cool. I'm sure a lot of it is very rooted in general theory and, and pretty applicable even today, because a lot of general – but I, I would
1: love to know what the really freaky ones are. Yeah, well, so we just you – know, I don't know if, if uh, we caught this at the beginning of our recording or not, but what we were talking about was a switch loop. Um, and the marking on it, maybe I, I said this, I don't know, but I found in the code that it was actually, you it know, dates back to 1921. So that's cool because it got me thinking, like, how old are some of these other codes that we're still using? Yeah, right. A lot of stuff has been updated, but how? how many of the ones that we know... Are, are some of the originals.
0: Yeah, that's know. an interesting thought. It's the same thing, same thought you had. We were doing a, a knob and tube rene, uh, remediation recently and we had to pick up all these little metal gem boxes. Um, yeah. And Josh made this great point where he's like, look at this old metal gem box that we pulled out of the wall probably from the 30s. The house was built in 26. Right, so, and then compare that to a modern new gem box. It hasn't really changed, not it was, much. It was
1: painted black, yeah. which is different than what we use. Sometimes they had un- beveled ends on the back. The the metal was a little bit heftier. It was heftier. But the ears on the face. Yeah, the way they the, screw together. The screws that let yeah. it be gangable. Yeah. Um, the Romex straps where it came in. Yeah. I mean, it was all, like, relatively unchanged. If it ain't broke, I guess, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so I was just curious if I can find that marking... For switches well while
0: you're looking i'm going to talk about a little bit about um how blown away I was today at the the concept of switching a neutral I just had never i would never imagine that I would never <laughs> imagine that that would be a fucking thing i wonder why I wonder why that versus Versus switching the hot. Because, I mean, if you think about it, typically in a switch, you just don't even need a neutral. The neutral doesn't have to have anything to do with it. You're really just opening and closing a door for the hot conductor.
1: I wonder, I don't know, I mean, if there was a thought that you know having a hot conductor there and you if they're working on it hot and you bumped something that was grounded it would shock you i don't know i don't know that's um, weird. i mean a neutral will only get you if you get into the middle of the circuit
0: yeah so which would make you think that you'd have more arcs taking place when switching lights on and off
1: but i feel like the arc will be stronger right yeah like I, it, mean, I feel like that's probably why they stopped it sure it's it's got to be hard on all the supply you know yeah. all the, the switches and, the, and yeah. the lights and just interesting yeah yeah I I would love to actually find the history on that. We should but it's we should also, find an old guy. Yeah. Well that's the problem with our industry, right? Is that most of the people at at this point, most of the people that would have had hands on that stuff, they're dying. Yeah. You know, it's like right. I mean my mentors get into his sixties. Yeah. And he worked when he was in, in the nineteen seventies. Yeah. So you're talking sixty years before that, fifty, sixty years before that. Yeah. So it's it's uh Yeah. Now maybe if you get a guy who's a second or third generation electrician, and he can say, speak to what his dad or his grandfather yeah. did. Yeah, Rick Jones would be great to talk. Oh yeah, dude, I'd yeah. love to. I
0: would love to talk. Pick his brain about his dad. Yeah. Or I'd love to sit down with his dad too, because his yeah. dad, Rick Senior, is a, absolutely. He's a wild man. Yeah,
1: man.
0: He he would always like. He would always be teaching us when I'd work with Rick. We'd we'd be. Uh, we, whatever we were doing if it was if it was in a commercial setting where the walls were a little ratty we at, at this one point he was completely reconfiguring this massive interior transformer while mm. we were doing other things he's over there like like wrangling a lion or something and uh, <laughs> he would always draw on the walls so you know he would give us these little tutorials because he used to teach as well that's cool and he would give us these little tutorials by drawing like a delta on the wall uh-huh. and talking about high legs and um, I just thought that was super cool to get that sort of uh, that's one thing I love about the electrical trade is you've, you're one part—it's one part science, you know—it's one part really, really heady, and then it's one part tough old blue collar. And yeah. so you get these like, especially the old school guys—you get these grizzly, uh, gnarled hand, rough exterior dudes yep. that are like scientific geniuses, and it's like, yeah. wow, that's really crazy. Blue it's collar cool. wizard. Blue collar wizard for sure. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yep.
1: Did you find your marking? Um, I didn't see it under switches, yeah. but... Um, identification marking. Marking. See also identification marking under entries for specific wiring and equipment. Hmm. So I didn't see it under the specific... You know, I'm also... I'm still learning my 2020. Yeah. And they're going to drop the 2023 before I know it.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it'll be 2023 before we know uh, it. That's
1: right. Yeah. Um...
0: 11. So, you're basically just talking about how, what's the appropriate way to mark your well, switch loop? So, with
1: the um, with the switch loop, again, I was taught down on white, back on black. Right. But it says in here there's a spot. So, maybe it's not marking, maybe it's just a configuration of a switch loop. Okay. But basically, they say that the conductor feeding the switch needs to be the white. Okay. And the one going back up to the light. So they actually specify So they actually okay. say that. So okay. I thought Bert, my old mentor, Bernie, was just saying, ah, now i white, back on black. Okay, mm-hmm. like, that's how he was taught. But that's how that it is how he was taught. That's actually how they say that's it. That's been the code since 1921. Wow. I went to a training yeah. course, and one of the teachers said, and this is brilliant, because I've made this mistake, and I kind of learned the lesson my own on my own before going to the training. But hearing him say it out loud, it's, it's a good thing to pass on to younger guys. You don't ever wanna be a cheerleader when it comes to troubleshooting. Okay. Because so you've got let's say you've got a, a dropped neutral mm-hmm. and you open up a box and you see what looks like it's obviously the problem. Yeah. And you know, go, here it, it is, yeah. I got it and you you, you <laughs> boast it out to the room, you say it to the homeowner, Oh yeah. <clears throat> you pull it out and fix it, and it's just a coincidence. Yeah. It could be completely unrelated or it could be one of multiple problems with the circuit. Yeah. But it's like don't Go getting excited before you see everything functioning and know it's...
0: That's a great lesson, man. Yeah. That's definitely. a great lesson. Because it's easy to get excited.
1: It is. You Especially it if you're up.
0: troubleshooting and you're, you've been looking for a while yep. and you find something. Yeah.
1: You grab a wire nut and just pull a little bit and all the conductors fall out because yeah. they didn't splice in You're like, oh, that's clearly it, right? Right. You, you get know. it all together, fire, suck it up. Down more. Yeah. It's like... <clears throat> so when you think you find the problem, yep. <clears throat> quell your excitement, Yeah. fix that problem in front of you test it. and test it with the understanding that it might not be it. Yeah. If it is it, you're allowed to be like awesome. But for the most part, I mean, I've had circuits that have six problems wrong with them. Yeah. You know, and you're searching for one. Right. So it's like don't don't cheerlead yourself. That's you know. a
0: great that's really really great advice. Yeah. Cuz it's easy to get into that mode where you're like, "Oh heck, yeah, man, I just solved this problem. Who's good at this? Who's good at his job? I'm good at my job." <laughs> And then you're like, oh shit! It turns out I'm not good at my job, and now this guy knows I'm not good at my job because I just announced how good I am.
1: Yep. Yeah. So maybe it's not marking because yeah. again, it wouldn't. I guess that wouldn't be marking. Right. As much as it would be.
0: Indicating. I see. 404.7 is indicating.
1: Yeah, it's it's good indicating. I feel like we're on to something. Yeah, you think so? <laughs> don't don't. I, I think we found it. Don't boast. <laughs> this was a... Oh, I want to get this one. Yeah. This is a cool one. Yeah. Then I came across 300.14 length of free conductors at outlets, junctions, and switch points. Okay. Length I, of free conductors. Yeah. So okay. let's say you've got, uh, you've got a nail on. You put your Romex into it. <clears throat> you strip the Romex out. How long do your conductors have to be? Right. Right. And everyone's... You know, oh, it's eight inches. Oh, it's it's the rule of thumb. Well, it's at least six inches measured from the point in the box where it emerges. Or shall be left at each junction point. Uh, or it has to extend three inches past the outside of the opening. Basically, whichever is longer. Okay. So, basically,
0: they're saying six inches past... Uh, either where it emerges from the raceway or cable sheath, so that's where it comes through into your box. Yep. So six inches from there, or three inches past the face of the, the, box. Face of the box, whichever
1: is longer. Yeah. That's a good one. Because if you have a really deep box and you cut it at six inches, yeah, you're you're really you're totally hurting yourself. Yeah. yeah. The exception uh-huh. conductors that are not spliced or terminated at the outlet junction box or switch point shall not be required to comply. Conductors that are not
0: spliced are terminated at that outlet junction. So, so if you just come, uh, if you just come, come through... Cut them off and cap them yeah. or pass through. Yeah. Use of... Yeah. Insulation of okay, a so wider
1: it, No, this gets us where we're going. Okay. All right. So first off, I want to highlight the sizes for larger because that's always one I like to deal with reference. Yeah. Anytime someone doesn't believe me. So that is 200.6, <laughs> uh,
0: Size 4 AWG or larger, an insulated grounded conductor, shall be identified by one of the following means: a continuous uh, white outer
1: finish. So it kind of goes through that 4 or larger so is allowed. There's actually okay. There's a handful of good things in this section right here that we stumbled across. Yeah, we're gonna jump around a little bit. Uh, look over at 200.4 neutral neutral conductors. 200.4. Yeah, right over here. Neutral conductors. Got check, it. Check out B. All right, multiple circuits, where more than
0: one neutral conductor associated with different circuits is in an enclosure, grounded circuit conductors of each circuit shall be identified or grouped to correspond with the ungrounded circuit conductors by wire markers, cable
1: ties, or similar means in at least one location within the enclosure. Yeah, so what's cool, what's interesting about that, like so, all right, I did this yesterday. Okay. I added a sub-panel yesterday off of a main panel I relocated 8 circuits Okay. I used a piece of uh, Greenfield um, or metallic flexible cable right. whatever you call it yeah. um, to move those circuits across so it's just a bunch of white and black conductors coming across Okay. so I failed inspection years ago because the, he, he wanted to see where it comes into the sub panel all those whites terminate on the neutral bar. All the, the blacks go to the breakers. He wanted me to zip tie the corresponding neutral, neutral to, to the hots. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Coming out of the, can, of the conduit. Yep, so that's yeah. that right there. Okay. So it obviously doesn't apply. It says in one of the exceptions. It obviously doesn't apply when it's coming from a cable, because you can see. Right. That's exactly way breaking right. things. Um, it doesn't apply when they pass through a box or conduit body. Um, All right, so grounded conductors of multi-cable conductors or multi-conductor cables. That's another interesting one, too. Okay. That's going to talk about... um, So, all right. Circuits of 50 volts or more. The use of insulation that is white or gray that has three continuous white or gray stripes for other than grounded conductors for circuits 50 volts or more shall be permitted only as in one or two. Number one, if part of a cable assembly that has the insulation permanently re-identified, so permanent re identified, so mm-hmm. permanently re identified to indicate its use as an ungrounded conductor mm. by marking tape, painting, or other effective means mm-hmm. at its termination and at each location where the conductor is visible and accessible. So basically, you're using the white in a three wire. Mm-hmm. As a traveller. Right. Or a hot. You gotta remark it. Or you're dropping a switch loop down, down and white, back on black. Yep. If used for single pole, three way or four way switch loops. Okay. The re-identified conductor with white or gray insulation or three continuous white or gray stripes shall be used only for the supply to the switch. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Tell the homeowner where are at where they at? <laughs> down on white back on black. And then tape that white, black. That's right, down black, black on black. Let's see. So that is- But not as a return conductor to the switch. But not as a return conductor to the So, so
0: And I have seen switch loops done the opposite way, where it's I mean, because it's just as effective,
1: right, mean you it drop is. it on black and bring it back it on white, is. but it's not now, the preferred method. And so code. what would the advantage be, right? Right. Well, so you open up a box, and you've got three splices. That's you right. You've got a group of whites, a group of blacks, and then, white and with then black. a white with black. black. Yeah. Maybe it's a quick way to identify that you've got a switch loop taking place I think so.
0: Then? I think so. I mean, it's, I think it's fairly, I think because you're going to be in, and this is just me thinking out loud, but, uh, I think that because in a switch box, you're obviously going to connect your, uh, your white to white, black to black with your light. Mm-hmm. Um, it only makes sense to make sure that the whites that are associated with it are, are neutrals, yeah. are true neutrals. Yeah. So that's, that's really wonderful, man. Yep. That's a... Uh, so, so that's a rough look at Switches based on uh, what we encountered today. Uh, as always, let us know your thoughts. Let us know your feedback. What's it like where you're at?
1: Yeah. I'm sure we probably just revealed how little we actually know.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, that's what, hey, look, anyway, this is all well, about.
1: We are all about learning. So yeah. anyone who knows way more or even different terms, yeah. please let us know. Yeah. I want to uh, hear
0: Anybody who got to those uh, sooner or who knew those uh,
1: before we did, <laughs> it was, cal-
0: calm down. Yeah. It was you don't need screaming. to get all, don't need to get all. If you're screaming and punching your dashboard, congratulations. you you have anger issues Uh, look we're all here to learn we're all here to get better that's what this code book's for so you can look through and find what you're looking for Uh, so hopefully this was helpful if you like this segment please let us know Uh, I will post uh, an Instagram post uh, so that you can give us your feedback on these topics too today was all about switches and the lazy Susan so lazy poor Susan poor Susan thanks guys